this week on The Startup Life. So I'm not going to put all the blame on the storefronts, but I'm going to say, Dominic, I would have gone out punching like a motherfucker, mm-hmm. doing everything I can to fight these companies off. That's what I would have done. Rather than roll over and go, well, I've always sold this way, and this is the way that it do it, and uh, this is the way that we do it, and they put me out of business. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Jerry Brazy, founder and CEO of Synvoy LLC. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own look, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to see some value today. We got a big time guest in the building today. We got Jerry Brazy. What's going on, Jerry? Man, how you doing, Dominic? I'm doing well. I'm good, man. I'm living a dream, living a dream. Are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? Yes, sir. Let's do this. Let's do it. All right. As always, Startup Nation, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. So, Jerry, first things first, man. Let's get this thing started off right. Tell us your story about your path of entrepreneurship. So, my story is uh, I grew up, I'm out here in Portland, Oregon, and Mm -hmm. I am a child seven of nine. And my parents had six kids by the time they were 22 years old, if you can believe that. Wow. So my older six brothers and sisters are less than a year apart on average. Mm-hmm. And so then seven years later, they had me. So there's this big uh, there's this big gap between me and my older family. And then they didn't want me to be an only child. So I have a little brother and a little sister. Um, and so th- we grew up uh, very much, you know, powdered milk and and uh, and subsidized, you know, government cheese and and. And grew up really poor. And so because you grow up like that and the way that I grew up, you go to work really easy and you're very independent. It's just kind of the nature of things. My dad worked, my mother worked. uh, And so we were on our own for most of uh, our childhood. So by the time I'm getting to about 11 years old, you know, we're spending a lot of time stealing food, uh, doing all of those things to kind of feed ourselves. And you get really independent doing that. So I got my first job simply because, you know, I wanted to eat. I got my first job for uh, when I was 11 years old, washing dishes at a local uh, at a local restaurant. I I actually paid taxes, if you can believe that, on the tax rolls when I was 11 years old. Wow. Yeah. And so I went. uh, It's a funny story about that is I remember I probably made two dollars and thirty five cents an hour, two dollars and 15 cents an hour, whatever it was back then. And um, I remember getting a check and the check was like seventeen dollars. And I took it down to the local century station, local century store, cashed the check and got all ones because that's what I had seen rich people do on television is they had a wad of money. And so I took I took that wad of money so that I could work through those ones right whenever I was buying anything. Since then, I've had about 20 or 25 jobs and I always moved depending on what I always moved to the next job based on how much they pay me. 
So I'd gain the experience, I'd go to work the next job because they were gonna pay me a little bit more. And I'd gain the experience and I'd go to work at the next job. And kind of that was the process until I was 21 years old. And 21 years old, I took a job driving. And I tried to get out, I'd done some some backbreaking work and you know had just about every crappy job that you can have. And so I said, you know what, I'm gonna go take a job that's not quite as 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 backbreaking, but I can make some pretty good money. So I took a job as a messenger when I was 21 years old. And that I, I quickly learned to do that very, very well. And I noticed that the dispatcher, again, I'm 21 years old, what the hell do I know? I noticed the dispatcher didn't do a very good job. So I went to the owner of the company nine months into working there. And I said to the owner, I think I can do a better job than that dispatcher. Uh, and I think I'll be a better a better asset for you. What do you, I don't know what you pay her, but I'm assuming it's 45 or 50 grand. I'll tell you what, you pay me $10 an hour for six months. If I do the job for you at the end of six months, then we'll, uh, then you pay me what you're paying her. Now, Dominic, Mm -hmm. I knew how I would spend $10 an hour, right? I knew when I got $12 an hour, I was a rich man. If I could get overtime at $12 an hour on every job I ever had, you, you would, you, I'd never go home. You know, I would just work because I knew how every single penny was going to get spent. So uh, in this case, she said, okay. And uh, that relationship went on for almost eight years uh, until I went started my own when I was 28. And we grew that company from 30 employees to 110 employees, and from doing about a million and a half dollars to doing five plus million dollars uh, over that time. And of course, at the end of the six, and I'm working 12 hours a day for this $10 an hour, the pressure to dispatch hundreds of orders every day with pay, you know, with paper and the the, the, the the urgency and expediency of all of those things. And that job was a nightmare, but I was investing in myself. I knew what I was capable of. And then I also had, uh, inside of me to go, you know, to have the guts, I suppose, to go and talk to the owner and say, hey, here's what I think. And if I fail, I just go back and and keep driving. And and I'm the type, you know, the key to my success, really, uh, there's many of them, but one of them in particular, and this story tells that uh, or shows that key is I don't give a fuck. I don't care right. what people think. Right. And so if, if it didn't work, I'll just go back to driving. And if I don't go back to driving, I'll go find another job that'll pay me uh, you know, more than the last one I had. That's what I always tried to do. So I did that job for seven plus years. I got a ton of knowledge. And then the critical point in my life happened when I was 28 years old. And over my eight years of doing this job, I had cultivated this reputation as I had trained dispatchers. I was really good at multitasking and following along with, you know, 30, 40, 50 drivers at a time, all in my head. It's kind of my, that's kind of my, my parlor trick. Uh, that I'm able to do is I, I have this mind that can track all of these pieces at one time. And so I had gained this reputation as I had trained people in the industry. And so a group out of Seattle called me up and, uh, and said, Jerry, we want you to be the front for a new company. We want to start a new company. Now, to anybody listening to this and says they don't know how to work in business and they don't know what a startup is or what the startup life might be or any of that, I knew nothing. Zero. Plug, by the way. Yes, sir. You got it. <laughs> so if you're going to go through that startup life, I knew nothing. I didn't know any, the first thing about business. And 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 here was the, the, the turning point in my life that's put me on the path. I'm 50 years old now. I was 28. I was sitting in this office and they I had had this initial conversation. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But what's starting? What's starting your own business? I barely knew what an entrepreneur was. Right. I didn't have any context for business and what starting your business was, because since I was 11 years old, I had been an employee. 
So I, I, you know, that's just the life that I knew. And then when you come out from being poor, you're fed this today. It's much worse, I think, because of social media than it was when I was a kid. But you're fed this, you know, business is bad. You can't ever make it. You're always going to have to work for somebody. You know, when you come out of that poor community, that's what you're always told. So I had this kind of mentality that said, this is what I'm going to have to do. This is the way I'm going to work for my whole life. And all of a sudden I had this this offer come to me about not only having a piece of a new company, but fronting that new company and getting it off the ground and getting it running. So they sent me a, a prospectus. And I remember again, here I ran this big operation and I knew everything about business or everything about the operating side of, operating side of business. And they sent me this prospectus. And I remember sitting there going, I don't know what I'm looking at. I have these pieces of paper in front of me. I have no <laughs> idea what they mean. Gotcha. And that's when I kind of sat back I, I should say I just had a son and so my first child was born again at 28 years old and I kind of sat back and I said you know what if you don't shut up and listen you think you know so much but the reality is you have no idea what you're staring at there's this whole other part of the world out there that if you don't shut up and listen you're never going to get you're going to still be working for $45,000 a year 20 years from now dispatching and because I had seen it, you know, I had guys that were 50, 60, 70 years old that still worked for me uh, driving that had been at it for 30 or 40 years. Nothing the matter with that. It right. just wasn't for me. Right. right. That was that, that wasn't my that wasn't the trajectory that I wanted to take. And, and again, going back to when I was 11 years old and always wanting to move forward and move up. So I I, I, I sat back. I said that to myself and that epiphany that I had at 28 years old is the reason I'm sitting here today. That's really the catalyst that started me on my journey towards entrepreneurship and all of the businesses and all of the work that I've done since comes from that. Just sit back and listen. And that and and, and really from then on, I went and started the company. And, um, you know, we're, we're 20 years later. Well, we we went and started the company with this group. Uh, and in the first year, we did three million dollars. So I did what I said I would do. Uh, they turned out they didn't have enough money. And I had to learn what all this enough money meant. I had to learn what cash flow meant. I had to learn what how to read a financial statement. I had to learn how Excel spreadsheets worked. I mean, I had zero idea on how any of this was done, but I, I, I had a work ethic. So I just jumped into it. And by jumping into it, uh, they didn't have the money they said they would. And they came in and they fired me one year to the day that, that I had started. So this time I said, all right, you know, now I have knowledge. Now I have information. I understand I have some power. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dependent upon them for the information. And so I turned right around and two weeks later started my own company. And, uh, that first year with my own company, we had, we opened the doors with 77 employees. So I went and took all my employees that I had moved. And then I went and got most of the customers that I had already moved. So this is twice in one year that I moved the customers. And we did just shy of $4 million that first year. And we did uh, $8 million the second year and $12 million the third year. And we did uh, $14 million the fourth year. So we were off and running very quickly. Uh, and again, along the way, I was learning. I didn't know going into it. I learned as I went. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And the company you're talking about is Synvoy, correct? Yeah, S-E-N-V-O-Y. That's correct. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Appreciate you sharing that. And when I hear in that in that story, in that in that story, Jerry, thank you for sharing it. By the way, is that you had the entrepreneurial mindset at an early age when you talk about you know going to the owner and being like, "Hey, I can do this better. I can be a better asset for you 
in a different type of role, in a different type of space. That really speaks to the entrepreneurial mindset to me, Startup Nation. So I want to ask a quick follow-up. Do you think, you know, because you talk about growing up, you know, with challenges, government cheese and things of that nature, being a seventh child, things of that nature, very little money, stuff like that. Do you think, you know, growing up with those survival tactics that you learned growing up made the entrepreneurial transition a lot easier for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that it made it. I'm reluctant to say it made it easier because that somehow makes it uh, for anybody listening that goes, well, I don't, I didn't go through what he went through, so I can't become an entrepreneur. And I don't want to make it, I don't want to make it sound like that. Fair enough. So I will say though, that I learned survival skills. I mean, when I say I was poor, you know, I saw three murders and three suicides by the time I was 21 years old, right? Fighting was a, was a way of life. Many times a broken nose that I sat, set myself and held shut. And I'm not crying here. I'm just, you know, the world that I came out of taught me some very good lessons. And I was fortunate not to go do drugs. I was fortunate not to drink alcohol. I was fortunate not to develop a lot of the bad habits that many of my peers did coming out of. Again, I lived in the inner city in Portland, Oregon here, went to the the largest public high school. So all of those issues that, that, that you can have coming where I come from. Uh, in my case, I was able to avoid them for the most part. And so as I got to the startup age at 28, and I reached a level of maturity that I could then go back and access a lot of the a lot of the lessons that I have learned, that I had learned, and I put them to play in place starting out in my company. But I will say the most important part, I guess, that, that goes back to the childhood is that I always equated food and money, money and food. Because uh, until I was 11, my little brother and I regularly, you know, would go to the local Safeway, we'd go to the local Sentry, and right. stealing food was a way of life for us. We kind of figured out how to do that. I mean, I'm talking seven, eight, nine years old, right? We're running the, the you know, Sean, my little brother's a cute little kid. You know, you run him up front while I'm in the back doing what I'm doing, and we both walk out the door together. We figured out how to do this at eight, nine, 10 years old. I don't sure. recommend this for anybody. Right. Uh, but at, at, at 11, I was like, okay, I go get a job. They're going to pay me money and give me a meal at the end of it. Now I had to work the eight hours for the meal. So I said, I get it now. So from a very early age, I always equated food and money. So I've never missed a day of work. I'm 50 years old. I've never missed a day of work. And I started when I was 11. And the reason why I've never missed a day of work, because I've never been so sick that if I didn't come to work, I wouldn't be able to eat later. And, 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 and I, and that's how I, how my mindset was. So when it came time to start my own business, there were no limits because everything I was doing was for the most basic need, which was to eat. And now, obviously, by the time I was 28 and starting these companies and 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 into my 30s, my my you know I was eating out in restaurants regularly, and my, you know the need for food, but was 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 you know in far in the past. But my mentality was always: you're working for your food. How hard are you going to work if you don't eat? if you don't work hard today? You're not going to eat tonight. And that discipline, I guess, that I taught myself as a young person absolutely benefited me greatly in the entrepreneur market. For sure. Thank you for sharing all of that and your transparency. I really appreciate that, Jerry. So let me ask you this, man, because you're quite the accomplished entrepreneur who has owned and operated more than a dozen companies over the last 20 years and with a combined uh, more than a $450 million in sales. And Startup Nation, that is nothing to scoff at. 
So, Jerry, if you could, if you can think about that one thing that has led to such phenomenal success in your entrepreneurial career. The one thing, um, that's a tough one. Okay. I would say that. Because there's two things. (laughs) Yeah, there's just so many. The one thing, if I look at it, I'll answer that question operationally. Okay. The one thing, I think I kind of philosophically gave you the answer on my epiphany. Uh, the one thing operationally is I had a, I started this company in 1999. So we just did our, uh, the transportation company. We just had our, our 20th anniversary here in February. Thank you. Yeah. That's, 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 if anybody knows anything about business, we're making it for 20 years is, uh, is an accomplishment that we're pretty proud of. For sure. Uh, so we're 20, uh, 1999 and in 2001, uh, a major competitor went out of business. And that major competitor had so much work. They were a national competitor. And so they literally went out of business overnight, didn't tell any customers, left everything sitting in big piles in their warehouses, and they disappeared. So I, being the person that I am with the personality that I, that I have, um, started making phone calls. And then when I couldn't get my phone calls answered to who all of their customers were, I sent people hundreds of miles away. I, I reached out to cab companies in small little towns. I sat there and for eight days, I slept on the third day. I took a 45 minute nap and I worked eight straight days. And there's 10 people outside of my studio right here that were here with me. And so most of my, most of my, my management group were on 20 hour shifts and they'd come back, they'd go home for four hours and come back. And so I would do all of the operations things at night and I would do all administrative things during the day. And, and, just that because I just didn't know any better. That's the other thing I should say. I didn't know any better that 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 you can't sleep for eight, or you can't not sleep for eight days. Right. And it was it was miserable. I can tell you. Uh, I, I I I tell the story. The first couple of days are fairly easy. The third day, the top of your brain kind of goes numb and it gets really difficult. <laughs> I've had to do it. I've had to go three or four days on multiple occasions, but this one was an eight-day marathon. And the, the your brain, the top of your brain starts to go a little bit numb, actually. And then if you can get through that third day, for me, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day was relatively easy. By the end of the seventh, it's starting to get pretty ugly. And I don't think my eighth day was very uh, uh, was very productive. Interesting story on that one. I go home at the end of my eighth day. I finally got some time to breathe. I'm going to get a nice sleep. My wife made me this great meal because, of course, I'd just been at work and I'm eating nothing but sandwiches and, you know, whatever I can get. And uh, and on that eighth day, I went home and I couldn't sleep. So I ate this big meal and for whatever, you know, I was so jacked up and I was so up. My body was so used to working that I just I couldn't sleep. So that 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 period in terms of of the success or the lack of success for my company, I went from I hired 50 plus people in one month during that period. Mm. And I risked everything I had without any knowledge or without any approval from customers. So I didn't know that I was going to get paid. I just said, I need to take advantage of this opportunity. And so I would call these big banks and I would say, hey, Mr. Banker. I have a, a a driver that's in this town that's 500 miles away, ready to pick up from you or for you. You don't know who I am, but I'll move that bag for you. Well, of course, they were so hungry to have that thing moved, to have that. And this is prior to the way we handle checks today. So this is when all checks moved in the system, in this you know manually by by couriers, and they're like, you know, who are you? I said, no, this is who I am. I have somebody there, and I'm ready to go. I had never done work outside of Portland for the most part. Uh, and so we're talking about doing Oregon, Washington, uh, parts of Idaho, 
parts of Northern California. And, and so I just said, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity and I'm going to try to make the most of it. And really I, 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 I risked everything. I put my company in that at that point it was the only company I, I had had to that point. I put everything on the line to try and make this work. Well, here I am all of these years later, and that's probably the key to my success operationally. I'm not gotcha. sure if that was the question you were asking me, but that's kind of the critical point in my company's uh, history. No, you're absolutely right. No, it's totally fine because the thing is, like like you said, you kind of answered it philosophically, but the operational piece is very important, Startup Nation. One thing we love to do on the Startup Life is give tangible tools uh, of success. And so given that operational uh, one is very uh, in line with what we're trying to do with Startup Life. So I appreciate you sharing that. And Startup Nation, that's... That story about uh, Jerry staying up for eight days is one of the many stories you would hear on Jerry's podcast, the Jerry Brazee podcast. Him and his uh, his uh, wonderful assistant, Billy Green, have created a great podcast. And you can get that on any of your uh, major podcast platforms, including Spotify. So, Jerry, I know on the podcast you always say, look, you're not trying to sell anything, not trying to push a book or anything like that. You just want people listening to the show. So explain to us, Startup Nation. What's your goal with the show, the Jerry Brazy podcast? It is. Yeah. And I appreciate you giving me this opportunity because like you said, I, it, this is tough for me to do, believe it or not. And, and anybody that listens to my podcast will know that, that the, they'll be surprised to hear that that's tough to do. Cause as you can see, you ask me one question and I'll do 25 minutes on it. So, uh, sure. no, I, not only that, Jerry, you, you, I'll ask one question. You've asked multiple questions that I've prepared for you. So it's all good. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so that's, you know, kind of my, I, I'm happy to talk about it and it's really over the last, look, I've spent the last 20 years building my companies and over the last, as I matured over the last four or five years, um, I really got to, as I, as I retain some assets. And as an example, I have a big car collection. And, and so I would meet young guys because I'm at car shows or I have cars in the parking lot and they'd want to come up and look at it. And they would ask me questions or I'd get asked a question in the, in the drive, in the, in the drive-through, Hey, you know, what do you do for a living? And I, I always would say like at McDonald's, I worked at McDonald's when I was 16 years old. It was the greatest job I have. I use skills. I learned at McDonald's today running my businesses. So McDonald's was a great experience for me. So I would be, I would ask, could ask questions and I would tell the people in the drive-thru window, Hey, I used to do what you're doing. I used to work in the drive-thru. Uh, there's, there's, there's opportunity here for everybody. And then I would talk to the guys in the parking lot and you know, they're 24, 25 years old and they may, they don't have any, any future in front of them. They had no direction. They don't know what they're doing, but they're, they're drawn to the cars and they would always ask me, what do you do for a living? And I think there's, there, there's this belief uh, consciously or subconsciously that, uh, you know, my dad built the business and then I inherited it, or there's some sort of fat cat lifestyle that, that right. people who are poor or don't have as much kind of visualize or see. And then of course there's a social media side that is constantly feeding that the man is out to fuck you and you can't get anywhere and you're on your own. And, and you know, there's some rich guy on the other side of the country that's pulling strings that determine your outcome and your fate. Right. And, and, and there's reasons, you know, you have bad habits. And so you can't be successful because of those bad habits. You know, you might be an alcoholic or you might be drugs or you might be whatever it is, multiple divorces and kids and all of the excuses and reasons why we're given, uh, particularly in the poor community that you can't make it. And I think again, today it's much worse. And so three, four years ago, I started to go, you know what? I think the way I can give back 
Uh, I had tried to give back to charity and I tried to do a Christmas thing with families. But the problem was I would go interview the families, which was a uh, which was uh, a rule of mine. If I'm going to give you money, I want to you know adopt a family. I want kids to get something at Christmas. And I would go to I went to four different families and three of the four. The dad was sitting there playing uh, video games. Mm. So I said, you know, I can't you should be having three jobs. What are you doing? You have kids to feed. So for me, that just wasn't my path uh, for, for giving back because. Uh, I, you know, I want people that are willing to go out and earn it. So then I backed up a little bit and I said, okay, I'm going to start canceling people. I'm going to start talking to, to young people in particular. And so I started doing that. And then this podcast thing came up and I thought, okay, maybe that's a way to get this message out. And this is my point in the answer to your question, sure. uh, Dominic, I want everybody to hear me that what's of what for where you are and what's possible because I, I literally I have no education when I, I bought a house when I was 21 years old I didn't know what an interest rate was I didn't know what a mortgage was I certainly didn't know what an entrepreneur was when I was 21 years old I have no business acumen whatsoever no assistance no help I didn't have anybody pushing me and saying you should be an entrepreneur I didn't have any uh, mentor telling me this is how to do it and this is none of that I just had I just had my brain and my balls and I went out there and a work ethic that's second to none. And so if I can explain to people that it's not an easy journey, it is a difficult journey. But if you want those things, if you if you want to attain a certain level in life and this could be I mean for me it was if I could just graduate my kids from high school for me and where I come from, from the streets, mm-hmm. right? You don't graduate from high school. I mean, I, I would say probably my freshman class to my senior class was probably 30%. You know, this is inner city. You know how it is. It, right. the, it, it's, just, it's ugly. And so when you're told that and you hear that, I want the message to be none of that will stop you from moving up and moving forward. May not be my level of success. It may not be Bill Gates's level of success. It might be just have kids and graduate them from high school and make a better life for them. Because I've seen poverty that's four generations deep. I know kids that I went to school with that got pregnant as early teenagers, and then their daughters got pregnant as early teenagers, and then their granddaughter got pregnant early teenagers, and they're not much older than me and their great grandmothers. Right. Right. So, I know families that have been on government assistance for multiple generations. And for me coming where I come from, that was, that was my, that's where I was going. I I had a lifetime of digging ditches when I was on the streets at 17 years old, living in a flop house with hookers and heroin addicts Mm -hmm. uh, on a shared floor for $25 a week at 17 years old with no direction. And I just got up and I went to work. And so I want this message if I can, based on my experience of what's possible because I had zero uh, advantages. I come from where so many people do. And I just want people to know that if you're willing to work and you're willing to risk, you can move up and move up might be the next job. It might be get that promotion. It might be get that raise. It might be go to a new job and have the, have the, the uh, intestinal fortitude to move to that next job. Because you heard Jerry talk about on the podcast, uh, the, his, his, his journey and this unfailing faith in himself that he was going to succeed no matter what combined with the, the work ethic that then made him successful at every job. I don't know that I've ever had a job I didn't get promoted at. 
because I just go into the job and I just go to work and whatever needs to be done, I'll do all of that and I'll do all of your work and I'll do all of the other people's work and never complain. Well, the reality is when they need something filled, they come look for you. So that kind of experience of where I come from uh, and, and what I went through, I'm hoping will ring with, with somebody I go and, uh, and, and I have a, a speech coming up in front of, uh, some, uh, some kids on probation, juveniles on probation, may, uh, men, uh, boys, I should say, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. And, and, and again, had somebody when I was 16 or 17 years old, come and told me kind of my message. I don't think it would taken when I was 16 or 17 years old, but the point is to plant that seed so that when you're 28 years old, and an opportunity comes across your desk that you might not otherwise look at. You might go back to 10 years ago when that guy came and talked to you about this. And he had some things in common with you when he was your age. But again, he's this old dude that's just spouting on about hard work and the things you got to do to be successful. But hey, you know, now I'm a little bit older. I'm a little bit more mature. Maybe that seed uh, will start to grow a little bit and, and it'll bear a little bit of fruit which for just one person. So that's really what I'm trying to do is just tell people what's possible. It doesn't take some great big skill. It doesn't take some you know, amount of, of experience. I knew nothing. I didn't know what a refi was on my mortgage. Literally. I, I mean, when I say I knew nothing, I was a poor kid living on the streets at 17 years old that thought he was digging ditches for the rest of his life. But I had a work ethic, number one. And number two, I had a an approach to work that you just can't hurt my feelings and I'll just do the work for everybody. So I never get caught up in politics or, you know, all of the things she's working harder than I am, or I'm working harder than he is. Uh, you know, this is bullshit. I'm not getting paid to do the work that I'm doing, uh, that sort of thing. So that's really what the message is, is what's it take to what my journey's been and what's it take to be successful. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Jerry, you know, really quickly, I want to ask you about one of your episodes because I thought it was kind of interesting, especially in today's age with the job market and college degrees and stuff like that. In episode 101, you share there's a problem with college from the CEO's perspective. Kind of share a little bit about that, if you would, please. Yeah, the 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 the, the problem with school is the I, I'm a I'm a big believer in that the government combined with the colleges to me a college is nothing but big business that's that's all colleges are and if you look at the numbers uh you know they, they're they're on par with with any of the other big businesses in the country and so to me in the early 2000s the government got together with big with 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 the big business of 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 state colleges public colleges mm-hmm. and they worked it out where the the government then would back the loans and so when the government does anything and it backs loans in this in this situation, that means everybody can get the loan, whether or not you should get the loan. And when that happened, I think it was 2007, the floodgates opened. And all right. of a sudden, we have all of these kids that are going to these schools uh, and saddling themselves with debt. And, and, and it's more insidious than that. Uh, the government working together with these colleges changed the law so that in bankruptcy, the only thing that you can't get rid of in bankruptcy is student debt, right? So, so right. they specifically carved out for you that all other debt can go away if you can't pay your bills, except in bankruptcy, the money that the government's underwriting can't be, you can't get rid of it in, in, right. in bankruptcy. So just from right there, it started an avalanche. And now, you know, credit card debt is at a trillion dollars in the United States, which is not cheap. It's an average of 21% uh, interest rates and $1 trillion. 
the debt for student debt is one and a half trillion dollars. So if you're starting with with uh, from zero and you're 22 years old and you're saddled with eighty thousand dollars in debt and you have a liberal arts degree, you're hosed. You're, right. you're screwed, right? That degree has next to no value in the real world. So sitting here, I've had 10,000 employees in my lifetime looking at what has value and what doesn't. That liberal arts degree is it's useless. I'm, I, I hate to say that people work hard to get these things, mm-hmm. but they have to have value. So in life, you have to look at things that have value. If you're going to school, look at your school as where you're going to come out on the other side and what's the value that you're going to get out of it. What's the investment? Because school is an investment. And if you're investing in air, right, you're not going to get any return because air is free. We all breathe it. Right. But if you're investing in gold, there's going to be a return on that gold because probably it's going to go up over time. So you want to invest in things that are going to return to you. And again, the, you know, the, the liberal arts degrees that have no value in the real world, then you're saddled with that debt and you're working as a barista uh, at Starbucks. You're going to have a tough time dealing with that as opposed to get your teaching degree. And then you get a job at 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 a year, whatever it is. And your debt might be 50 or 60 grand and it's manageable. And that return on your investment uh, of what you're doing, going to school can be paid off in a relatively short amount of time. And then as you look across your career, it makes sense. So my, 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 my problem with college is twofold on the one side, as I described, you know, I think that it is a cabal that the, the government and the, and the, uh, the colleges have got together to, to frankly take advantage of the people who can afford it the least to be taken advantage of. I mean, when you're a poor kid at 18 years old and somebody says you get to go to university, of Oregon and be a duck, uh, but it's going to cost 30 grand a year, but I'm going to give you the money. There's no, there's no uh, perception of what that cash is, right? It's, it's nebulous. It's out in the world. You, you right, don't right. really, you can't touch it. You don't feel it. You can't see it. You didn't earn it. So right. it's not real. And so you'll take debt. I mean, we see this all the time with payday lenders and things of that nature that pay, you know, you're paying 35% on your, on your, to cash your paycheck a couple of days early. Those practices are out there. And rather than the payday lenders be the bad guys, which they, which, which, which they are, and they take advantage of the poor on the same side, I think that the government and the colleges have taken advantage of the poor. And I'm speaking mostly to the poor now who want to go to college. So then the next question is, how do you go to college? Right? Well, Jerry, how's anybody supposed to get ahead? There are five and a half, anybody that listens to Mike Rowe, uh, online, there's five and a half million unfilled skilled trade jobs in the United States. And those jobs pay 45, 50 bucks an hour. That's absolutely jobs that you can, you know, it's plumbers and steam fitters and HVAC and electricity and all of the different trades that go into carpentry, whatever it is, those schools are cheap. And many times you don't need to go to school because the companies will hire you directly because there's so many of these unfilled jobs and you can go get a job making three, four times what you would have made again with some other degree that has no value and you're off and running on a, in a career or you, there's so many credits that you can go earn. There's so many different ways that you can get government funding to help you pay for your college while you're also working, while you're going to school, that you put that effort in for four years, you can come out with no debt. I have have a nephew of mine that did exactly that, graduated from University of Tennessee right down there in your neck of the woods Mm -hmm. uh, with no debt. 
So to say that it can't be done, it can be. This goes back again to what I talk about the way the poor talk to when it comes relative to becoming rich or being successful. The same thing is true. You can't do anything without college. You have to go to college. And oh, by the way, we're going to give you all the money to go to college. But here's the reality that we're not going to tell you. And this is high school counselors all the way through. Here's what no one's going to tell you. We're going to fuck you on the other side. So just understand that at the end of four years, you're going to come out so handicapped and so hamstrung that you're going to have very little opportunity to make the decisions you want to make because this $100,000 worth of debt is going to be sitting on top of you like a stone. So I I don't think that it's necessary, number one. I have none. Uh, So again, I'm probably, you know, my opinion on this is is fairly strong and, and admittedly for that reason. Uh, so I don't need any, and I was able to do it. Everything though today is so much more available to you that if there's anything that you don't understand, there's a little something called YouTube. You click on it, and you don't even have to read. Right. Somebody will tell you how to do damn near anything. So the the reason or the excuse for why you would need to go say understand how business works, you can have the best business books detailed to you in a cartoon on YouTube. I mean, it's it's amazing. The amount, everything you ever need to know is available to you on the internet. I don't see what value there is in going to, to college. Now there's a side to it about experiences and things of that nature, which I won't discount and my children are going to college. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't go to college. I'm just saying you got to think about what you're doing. 18 year olds, you're old enough to make your own decisions. I'm not making excuses. You signed up for it. It's yours. That debt is yours. Understand it. But if I can get to anybody to listen to me, and, and I'm not the only one screaming and yelling about this. There's a lot of other people that have the same side of, sort of background with much bigger audiences than I do that are talking about it. But I'm giving you that practical advice for my life about why I don't think college is necessary or specifically big colleges. Go to community college. My daughter goes to community college. It's like $1,800 a semester. It's stupid, right? It just, right. you know, it's cheap relative to going to a big school. So there are ways to get, and I've never hired somebody that, that, that it never came down to two people in the thousands and thousands of people that I hired. If it came down to two people, I was like, well, where'd he go to college? <laughs> right. Oh, he went to community college and he went to Oregon. Okay. I'm going to take the guy that went to the better. It's never happened. It's the person that I think will provide me the best opportunity for, for me to have success and for them to have success. And it had nothing to do with the school. For sure. And I'm glad you mentioned that because you're absolutely right. Like the model, uh, it's, it's changing as far as like success. You know, we were told in the, in the, as an older millennial, we were told in the, in the eighties and nineties that you had to go to college to be successful, get a job and stuff like that. But I think the business model of that has changed. Even when you mentioned about, you know, uh, how college is kind of a business, if you will, it absolutely is because, they understand that, you know, they're going to get their money and stuff like that. But I think also there, there's a changing doctrine, if you will, because even more and more like the Googles and the tech companies are starting to understand that like the college degree isn't as as important as opposed to the work ethic and the transferable skills and the skills that you can learn. And you mentioned Mike Rowe. It's funny you mentioned about those those skilled labor jobs. It's funny because many futurists will tell you that like you know, the when we talk about automated jobs and tech taking over the workforce and stuff like that, it's those unskilled labor jobs that will be the last to be taken over by robots and automation. So I'm glad you pointed that out. I appreciate all of that you just shared. Yeah, I think that that's the the and the point there is uh, is well, 
for me to bag on college because I just think that to your point, it's, it's, it's too, uh, it, it's, 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 it's emphasized way too much. And again, it starts in the high school, right. pushed out of the high school and into college. So absolutely. I'm, I want to bag on college, but the other side of that is to just let people know that there are options, absolutely. that there are lots of options and they are options. If you are the poorest of the poor in this country, I guarantee you, you can walk to a job site. You can talk to almost the first person you walk up to and start sweeping floors. And pretty soon they have you pulling wire through two by fours uh, and two by sixes. And the next thing you know, you're going and taking a test. And the next thing you know, you're an electrician within a few years and you're working as an apprentice and you go from $15 an hour to $28 an hour to $50 an hour. And it happens in three, four, five years. And all of a sudden you're 25, 26 years old and you're making more money than you've ever seen. That doesn't sound very difficult to me. As long as you're willing to put in the time and you know how to work, those options and opportunities are available to five and a half million people right now. Absolutely. So uh, you just got to want to go and do it. But this should be what we're talking about, right? The, the, the government should be screaming and yelling about people filling these, un, uh, these unfilled trade labor jobs, not get your ass in college. For so, sure. For sure. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because uh, the, the parent company for the startup life is Owls LLC. It's an education consultant firm. So everything we do is revolved around teaching. And so we go into schools and we and I don't know if you know this or not, but the kind of the the tagline or tag words that's used in high schools now is getting our students college and career ready. But if I'm being honest with you, they're really just focused on the college part, not the career yeah. ready part. So, no, you're I, I absolutely know exactly what you're talking about but i appreciate you sharing your perspective on that for sure absolutely so i, I want to ask you this right before we go to break man i believe all entrepreneurs are constant learners they're always engaged in professional development reading books listening to podcasts or wherever that looks like what books are you reading what podcasts are you are you listening to what spurs your professional development journey as an entrepreneur so I'll go back to 28 years old sitting in that office okay you know, you know telling myself you don't know shit Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, now what do I do now? What's, what's, what's my steps towards success? I don't know. I don't know what that is, except I have this new business and I'm going to start up. Well, I better learn about business. Now, this is all pre-internet. And so I went out and, uh, again, today you'd watch a video, but I would go out and I found Fortune and Forbes and Inc., you know, mainly those, those magazines, I would go to the library to get, you know, any books on business that I could. And this is 30 years ago. So I'm reading Jack Welch and Warren Buffett, any books. And even though the book I read, I had no idea what Jack Welch was doing at GE. And I barely understood what he talked about when he got rid of 10% of the worst performers and, uh, you know, all of that kind of, I was like, okay. And so I just absorbed it. If I didn't understand it, I'd read it twice, but again, I just absorb it. And so really it's as simple as fortune and Forbes. I learned a ton from an ink because ink concentrates on smaller businesses many times. And so probably for me, it was magazines more than more than books. Although I've read, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, I don't read fiction. So the other part of that might be that I only read nonfiction. So I'm reading autobiographies and stories about largely around business or business leaders or world leaders. And so that I get that historical references and that historical perspective. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, seeing what they did, uh, David McCullough wrote a great book on building the Brooklyn bridge. And if you read that book, 
and you come away thinking you can't do something because, you know, the people are down in those caissons underneath the water circa 1871. And they're, they're, they're dying of the bends because they have no idea what the bends are. And the people are lined up for miles to get the jobs to go work in these, you know, lit by gas and they're just dying left and right. And you're thinking to yourself, well, shit, if I can't get out of bed in the morning and go to my, <laughs> my startup or go to right. my job or go ask for a promotion or work a little bit harder or not bitch so much about my life, you need that you need that perspective and you only have to look at history to get that perspective. And so for me, nothing specific, anything I can get my hands on, I shouldn't say nothing specific, Forbes and Fortune magazine, I eat those up uh, at pretty much as soon as they show up and and have forever. And that for me has kind of kept my ear to the ground. Now, podcast wise, nothing that I stick with uh, probably consistently on the business side. The okay. big ones like everybody does, you know, Joe Rogan and ones of of, of that nature, but right. nothing specifically for for business except for uh the startup life of course (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that jerry so that being said and we're gonna go ahead and go to break how you like being on the startup life so far jerry man i hope i'm not uh, hogging too much of the time no you are totally fine sir all right startup nation so i hope you're getting great value from jerry's content but we gotta pay a few bills once again my name is dominic lawson this is the startup life podcast and it is powered by the bench podcast network business owner the startup life reach is growing wouldn't you like your business to grow with it reach out to us to advertise on the startup life you can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askalsolutions.com i mean don't get me wrong like this is a great music to have break on but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music but your business being advertised on it need more content from the startup life you say you can now sign up for the startup life all access pass on the binge podcast network's patreon page there is exclusive content written by yours truly video content where i share even more of my business philosophies and whatever crazy content i can think of out of that crazy head of mine and at only five dollars a month yeah five dollars a month this is more content for you startup nation to really get ahead of your competition so instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship click the link in the show notes to sign up all right startup nation so let's continue so jerry i want to go back to something really quickly because you talked about learning from business leaders and reading Forbes and Inc and stuff like that and Entrepreneur Magazine, things of that nature. I want to get your take on something, you know, because, you know, uh, entrepreneurship has kind of become this, it's kind of almost fad to a lot of people, right? Like, you know, the the entrepreneurs, the Instagrampreneurs and stuff like that, where they talk about the the accolades and the topical stuff, but they don't really get down to the the grit and the grind and the work ethic like you talk about. So I want to ask you this. 
in your opinion, what is the state of entrepreneurship and just American business in general as a whole? Good question. I and I feel strongly about this. The 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 state of entrepreneurship. Might that's why. <laughs> hey, I have an opinion about this one. Imagine that, Dominic. <laughs> uh, the state of entrepreneurship in in the United States, in particular, and and, and maybe even the world, uh, because of the internet. But let's take the United States specifically. Sure. There is this. It's it's a and I think you use the word entrepreneur. It's 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 absolute or a entrepreneur. It's yeah. absolutely true. If you're going to start up a little Spotify store and try to resell uh, raincoats, uh, and and you're putting an hour into it a day and you're calling that a business and you're an entrepreneur, that's dumb. That's not who you are. That's not what being an entrepreneur is. It's not even close. An entrepreneur is somebody that risks everything to get some return and works like they never can imagine having to work. If you're not doing that, there are no shortcuts. And I think that that the problem has been that there are some and they are very, very few. That's why they're called unicorns, mm. that they're, you know, 28 year old tech billionaires that created this al algorithm. I remember the, the WhatsApp, the guy that uh, that invented WhatsApp right. sold it for 19 billion to Facebook. Uh, you know, was, 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 uh, and he got, he signed his documents when he, when he closed on the, on the purchase in front of the welfare, uh, office that him and his mom had gone to, to pick up their checks and he's selling it for $19 billion. And he had just invented it a few years before. Okay. Impressive. That's great. Good for him. That's not entrepreneurship. That's not what the rest of us have to face. It's like comparing yourself to a major league baseball player and you play softball on the weekends, right? There's no connection to the two. They're, they're, they're fundamentally a sport, but they're completely different sports. And so I think that those are the guys that get held up. Those are the guys that are getting interviewed. Those are the ones that people are trying to emulate and they see the fancy cars and all of that. And they go, well, that's what I want to do. And you have to understand that that is not entrepreneurship. That is unicorn status, meaning it doesn't exist. So there's very few instances of it existing. The reality is I belong to a CEO group of nine guys who've been together for 20 years. Uh, every one of them dudes, work their asses off all day long, risk everything on multiple occasions, survive downturns, live through recessions, uh, make money in the good times, suffer in the bad times. It has to hurt. It has to be a sacrifice. And if you're truly an entrepreneur in a business that you're trying to build legacy, it's not easy. And that's, the, that's, that's I think, the story in life today, particularly as these generations are coming through where it, life is getting easier and easier at the baseline. You have to understand that anything in life, if it's easy, it's wrong because nothing in life is easy. Life's a bitch. It's going to chew you up and spit you out. And so you have to earn everything you get. So you watch these guys online, these Instagram uh, or YouTubers, then they got, you know, the Lamborghini in the background and they're 28 years old and they're giving you all this advice. I listen to these ones just for entertainment. And I'll tell you, Dominic, and Billy <laughs> will tell you, I'll come in and go, hey, I listened to this asshole today. He didn't say anything other than use big words and he was able to deliver that message. But I'm telling you, practically, as somebody who's done $450 million in 12 different businesses over 20 years, the advice most of these guys give is bullshit. It is, it is snake oil salesmen trying to get clicks so that you'll follow along so they can get advertising on their YouTube. Now, they may be successful. It may work for them, but you're talking about 
five people out of five million. And the chances of you starting up your click funnel advertising website is slim to zero. Go get a job at McDonald's. You'll learn more working at McDonald's that you can use practically experience later than you'll ever learn trying to do this entrepreneur, entrepreneur, whatever, whatever, however term we're going to use right? Uh, and build these, these, these so-called businesses. So the reality is we want an easy way out. That's what I think. And as humans, we are subconsciously driven or, or, or attracted to the easy way. It's why it's so easy to get conned, right? It's why it's so easy to, to, to sell something that doesn't exist or give you something that you don't need. That's why we buy those, you know, uh, ab makers when we know better that, you know, doing doing four abs in the morning with this machine that we bought online the night before is not going to help your abs. But <laughs> it's so attractive. And the dude right. doing it was so jacked that you're like, oh, shit, I got to give that a try. It seems so good, but it never is. And then it goes sits in the corner and nobody ever touches it again. And it gathers dust. And you're like, oh, shit, that's 50 bucks down the hole. That is what entrepreneurship is today. In, in, in my estimation, in the grand scheme. So that would be what I would say the problem with entrepreneurship is. On the big business side, I'll answer this part really quick. Mm-hmm. On the big business side, I think that there is a protection mentality um, that big business has. And then the media comes in and they talk about how big business is wiping everybody out. And I think about when I think about that and think about how you can't compete. And, well, you know, again, in my day, it's Walmart's closing everybody and it's, it's ruining all of the main streets. And that to, to some extent, there's truth to that. And Amazon's ruining all the main streets. And to some extent, there's truth to that. But I look at Ace Hardware. So anybody mm-hmm. want to look up Ace Hardware? Right. Uh, Ace Hardware comes along and they're like, hey, there's open storefronts in these little neighborhoods. Let's form a co-op of a bunch of people who own their own Ace Hardwares. We're going to take it down from if the big box stores are, are, are have, you know, I don't know, 400,000 SKUs, we're going to sell the top 5,000 SKUs. And I think big box stores, it's like 80% of everything they sell is within 5,000 SKUs. So we're going to sell those 5,000 SKUs in a store that's, you know, 20% less or 20 times less the footprint. And we're going to drop it into a neighborhood inside of these open storefronts. And then the neighborhoods can come down and we're going to sell them really what they want. And then if it's something more rare that, that doesn't get sold as often, they're going to go and they're going to buy it at Home Depot. So those businesses, those Ace Hardwares are flourishing. The companies all got together so they have buying power and they're local owners working in the neighborhood. And they're, they came up with a better mousetrap. I won't go to Home Depot. Why would you when I can go get paint right down the street? at Ace Hardware. Now, maybe I save 10 cents or 15 cents a gallon, but I got to drive eight miles and I got to deal with a parking lot that's 600 acres big, or I can pull into the front of an Ace Hardware and the guy will come running out and say, Jerry, how you doing? What would you rather have? And so for me, there are opportunities, there are excuses that are made and big business and the media, I think, work together to really play up that there are no opportunities. And so this comes back to what I started with. There are always opportunities. Big business is not going to put us out of business. They want to, they'd like to, but they're not going to be able to, no matter how hard they try. And this is, again, back to your question about my podcast. This is a lot what I want people to hear. This is the story I want them to know is don't listen to all that. Don't listen. Don't let those big businesses dictate what you're going to do. Decide what you want to do and then do it better. That's what I that's that's what I would say to do. And when it comes to big business, uh, not let them dictate decisions you're making. You know, Jerry, it's funny you mentioned that because just a few uh, weeks ago, I recently just finished uh, Sam Walton's Made in America book. And he's saying he said exactly what you just said. And and, you know, obviously he's the founder 
he was the founder of Walmart and stuff like that. But he said, look, I'm not here to put out small business. Like there's always opportunities. He even said in the book how you would do it. And he talks about that model that uh, that you talk about with Ace Hardware. So I appreciate you sharing all of that for sure. From a from a startup perspective, and here's here's what I would add to that, just operationally again, sure. is when what when when Walmart comes in, what what happens is the entrenched business says this is the way we've done business, and we're going to stick to it. And Walmart put us out of business, so Walmart brought in a better mousetrap and put our older mousetrap out of business. You can't do that. You have to then change your mousetrap, right? to be a better mousetrap than they have. So it will challenge you. It'll be painful. Yes, it's hard to do. You'd like the status quo that your father had and your grandfather had in your 40-year-old storefront. But I'm telling everybody, if you don't change, if you don't change with the times, if you're not constantly improving and working on your business, your business will disappear. I come to work every morning assuming my business is, is gone at the end of the day if I don't make decisions and make changes. And then I make changes. And if I fuck it up and the change is wrong, the next day, I make another change. I don't cry about, oh, shit, I spent all this time and put weeks together into this project. The project took a shit. I made a mistake. What did I do wrong? Move forward and make another change. And if you're not constantly improving, and this is practical advice. I know a lot of people, you know, you get this kind of advice from uh, from people without the practical knowledge. And so it becomes cliche at times. But right. it's absolutely true that you have to be constantly innovating and you have to constantly be changing. And I would put forth that many of these businesses, not all, there's, it's hard to compete on price with these guys. So I'm not going to put all the blame on the storefronts, but I'm going to say, I, here's what I'll, Dominic, I would have gone out punching like a motherfucker mm-hmm. doing everything I can to fight these companies off. That's what I would have done rather than roll over and go, well, I've always sold this way and this is the way that it do it. And uh, this is the way that we do it. And they put me out of business and that's just, you know, okay, that's the way it works. You're gone. Um, without even trying to innovate, without trying anything new. So you constantly have to be innovating. For sure. And, and I think to add to your point earlier, like that's the nature of this game of entrepreneurship. If you're not constantly innovating and things of that nature, you know, the you know, entrepreneur said, entrepreneurship says that you should go out of business. And that's, that's right. what happened. So I appreciate you sharing that for sure. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, you celebrated 20 years uh, of your company being open, right? And so I, I guess I just want to kind of get some reflection from you. What does that make you feel? How do you feel when you hear you've been in business 20 years and you see the people that you've employed, the people that you've empowered uh, over that time? Give, give me a, a little reflection about that time for the past 20 years. Yeah, you know, I've had um, my management group has, I have people who I have worked for for 25 or worked with for 25 or 28 years mm-hmm. uh, that still work for me today. And right. probably if, 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 as I reflect on the 20 years, uh, I look at two things. Number one, I'm still working with the same group of people that I've worked with since we were kids and that, and, and they've stayed with me through thick and thin we've hammered away on this business. Uh, some of this I've described today, they were right next to me through all of that. And so uh, I kind of answer this question the same way I answer the question about my leadership skills is I kind of, you know, if you ask me, I don't necessarily think there's anything special about that. But at the same time, when you have multiples of people who have stayed with you through thick and thin, both drivers and management, 
and you've been together for 20, 25, almost 30 years in some cases. Uh, to me, as I reflect back on it, those people have put kids through college and put kids through pub, through private school, uh, you know, have, have, have improved their lives from where they are and bought houses and sold houses and moved up to bigger houses. And, you know, as the business has grown, they've grown with it. Their skill sets might have been drivers 25 years ago, and now they're managing these big operations. Those things, that opportunity, and many of them come from the same place that I have. And so we have that in common and being able to see those people grow the same way uh, is probably, for me, I look back on it. Yeah, the, the, the monetary side of it and all that is, is, is certainly, I don't want to discount any of that, sure, but it's sure. not the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about uh, reflecting on the last 20 years. It's the group of people that I've worked with. And then also, it's the life that I've changed for my children. That's, that's, that's also a, a, a big one for me, because when you are in institutional poverty, uh, generational institutional poverty, I call it, right. it's very hard to get out of. So it means my great grandparents and my grandparents and my parents and, uh, you know, many of my brothers and sisters and, and, and nephews and nieces, you know, that institutional generational poverty is very hard to break out of. And I have, I like to think that I've changed no matter what goes wrong. I have changed the future for my bloodline from, from, from my children forward going forward. And, and when you stop and think about that, and I, I guess, you know, as I've gotten older, I never really thought about it when I was younger, but answering your question, sure. I would answer it that way. I've changed the, I've changed the, the, the trajectory, if you will, uh, of my family after me, which to me is probably the greatest success story I could ever have wanted. Because again, back to being poor, the expectation is that you're going to be poor and your kids are going to be poor. And there's just this way that you have to live. Or Let's not say poor. Let's see. They're not going to be successful uh, gotcha. in whatever you want to do. So that would be my answer. I think just uh, the people I've worked with and then my kids going forward. For sure. For sure. And thank you for sharing that. And that actually segues to my next question. I wanted to ask you, uh, when you talk about, you know, doing it for the money and stuff like that, uh, you have a quote on Instagram that I came across and I want to I want to share it with Startup Nation. Uh, it says people say don't do it for the money. And that's bullshit. 15 years of sitting courtside is all the justification I need. End quote. So, Jerry, when we talk about your background early, talking about the challenges you talked about in Portland and stuff like that. Do you think people who say that just come from a different vantage point than you do? Yeah, I think, number one, uh, go Blazers. <laughs> gotcha. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that a little bit more in just a second, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that there's too much. This is a, I think a little bit bigger question. If I can expand on this just a little bit, uh, Dominic, I Go think that, I think that what other reason, if somebody, if you're making $10 an hour and somebody offers you 20, do you turn it down because you don't want to make more money? Nobody <laughs> would do that. Right. The, 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 the quote the opinion is flawed. And I think that I, every single day for me is perspective. I never lose perspective. Like I said, food and money go hand in hand. And I don't forget what it's like to eat government cheese and fucking powdered milk. Anybody who's drank powdered milk. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's the worst thing in the <laughs> world, terrible. right? Yeah. So if you've had powdered milk and had to go pick up those white boxes, I don't, they don't do it anymore. I don't think, but in my day you had to go to a big warehouse that the government ran and they gave you white boxes full of cheese and milk and uh, milk in this case was a big box of five pounds of 
powder that you mixed into milk. Right, um, right. You know, I never forget what that was like. And, and so in my head, in the way that I wanted, I always moved forward. I always wanted more money. And what else would you possibly want to work towards? So they go to the mantra, money can't buy happiness. Nothing will buy happiness. If you're a miserable person, you're going to be miserable if you make 20 grand a year and you'll be miserable if you make 500 grand a year. So you're absolutely right that money can't buy happiness. But for the majority of us, we all want to attain. We all want more. We all want to move up and, and, and move on. We want to move out of where we are and get to that next level. That's human nature is to want to grow. So most of those quotes, and you can go online and find them from the most influential people in the world, talk this kind of bullshit. And I think that they've lost track of where if they came from anything like what I did, they've lost track of it. And if they haven't lost track of it, they have no perspective on what we're trying to do. But again, you always, always notice how it's the mega rich that are telling you don't become rich. Right. right. It's I don't think it's ever dudes like me that are telling you don't become rich or 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 the guys that I'm that that are in my CEO group, because what we're trying to do is always figuring out a way to grow our business and make more money, because when we make more money, our families are better off. When we make more money, our employees are better off. Everybody's better off when you're making more money. But the the, the game of business is to do it as well as you can. And then Absolutely. what you do with the money you make, then you get to go and, and, and do what you do with it, meaning charity or whatever it is that you want to do it. Keep it. I don't care. It's up to you. You earned it. And so I'm all about nobody at tw- at 20 grand would turn down a hundred grand and nobody at a hundred grand would turn down a million uh, because that is the, our nature is to constantly move up and move out, at least try. And again, we talked about that from an entrepreneurship uh, earlier. The other thing I would add, so that's what would be my answer directly. But my other thing that I would add to that is hand in hand with this is chase your passion. This is the other bullshit that people are always flinging around. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, do what you love, chase your passion. And I'm telling you, that's all, that's, that's all bullshit. There's, there's, you have to, here's what I say. You have to chase your opportunities. And when an opportunity presents itself, you grab it. I had no idea. I took a job driving so I could listen to sports talk, not work as hard digging ditches as I was and make the same amount of money. So I took a job driving and I had no expectation that I was going to own a courier company uh, or I was going to then ultimately own a big transportation company or that I would own gas stations and car washes and convenience stores or I would own hundreds of thousands of square foot of real estate or develop lots, uh, develop subdivisions, buy and sell homes, remodel, flip the whole nine yards. All of the things that I've done, I had no expectation for any of that. In fact, I don't really like any of that, right? It's not my passion. It's not what I'm passionate about. It's not what I love, but it was opportunities for a poor kid coming off the streets to take advantage of, to then do all of the things that I've done in the way that we've talked about on this podcast. So that, you know, this follow your passion bullshit, I say work passionately so you can work on your passions. Go to work, work passionately, have success. And then on the weekends, go fly fish or whatever it is that you love to do. You're never going to make a living, generally speaking, at what you're passionate about. Some do. But again, I think they're unicorns, generally speaking. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, speaking of courtside, I know you're a big Blazers fan. And I I know that by the time this episode probably airs, it'll probably be in the thick of summer. So the NBA season will be over. So I want you to give me a prediction, man. Can can your Blazers get past Golden State? And if they can, what is it? What is it going to take? All right. I'll try to. I'm a big (laughs) sports fan. For sure. (laughs) I'm a big sports fan, so I will try to be objective here uh, okay. as much as I can, and I will okay. back away from the seats and and and, <laughs> and my love of the Blazers. Uh, and I will say that they absolutely can beat Golden State. Golden State has 
experience that we cannot match. And so if there is an advantage on the Golden State side, I think that it is their experience. If there is, um, because I don't think the advantage on the skill side is entirely with Golden State. In fact, I think our bench is much stronger than Golden State. I think we have the, the strongest bench in the league. Uh, and Denver probably had the second strongest bench in the league. And those, you know, Denver's out and we're here. So I think we have advantages skill-wise on the floor to counter uh, to counter Golden State, right? They've got the Splash Brothers, and and, and I think it ends there uh, from a comparison perspective. So particularly with KD out. So right. uh, if 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 our guys can do their job and our bench can outscore their bench, I think that this is here to be won. But if our guys succumb to that pressure and we're just going to let Curry stand out front coming off of a pick and roll and drain 30-footers, we're in trouble. Right. Yeah, so that if, if, if their experience... If they can get over the experience hump, we have a chance because we have all of the skill. But experience is a big deal in anything. That's the point of this podcast. Experience is a big deal in life, and it certainly is a big deal in winning NBA championships. Gotcha. But you'll probably, if we get past Golden State, you uh-huh. will probably hear my scream in uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will, for sure. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing that. So, Absolutely. Jared, probably going to ask you the hardest question of this episode. Tell me about Kathy, your wife, and how important she's been on your path to entrepreneurship. Oh, uh, I can't. I, I, let me tell you that, that, that there are tools that you get, and we talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. There are tools that you have that, that, based on experiences that I'm able to bring forth and put to work uh, in building the businesses and learning and all of the, all of the adversity that comes with that. Mm-hmm. The, the flip side to that or the other side, or in addition to that, or equally as important is to have a strong support structure. So be that friends, be that family, mm-hmm. uh, or more specifically, be that direct family, your kids and your wife, uh, right. or your husband, as the case may be. My wife, my life is, I will meet you at seven. And then my phone rings. Billy will tell you sitting here, we're going to start a podcast at 530. And last night it was 620 because I had a, my phone rang in a meeting that came up. You, you know, business always has to come first. And so my wife in that context understood that early on and understood that if I say I'm going to be at the restaurant at seven and I don't get there till 745, it's not because I'm fucking around or don't want to get there. It's just the the nature of the business. And she had, she, she accepted that and then worked within those same constraints, understanding that business comes first. So we might be on an airplane to Aruba and the phone rings and something catastrophic happens and we'll just unpack the bags, turn around and go home. And she wouldn't complain a lick. I mean, that's, that's my life as an entrepreneur. And that's the life uh, 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 if you're the wife of an entrepreneur and that her ability to do that and manage the house and, and, and never asked me to do anything. I don't think she's ever been sick uh, that I know of of a day. If she has, she calls her mother or calls my mother or something. Mm-hmm. Right? So I just never had to worry about the things that were happening at the house. So I took care of my side. She took care of her side. And both of those sides together then were instrumental in getting me uh, where I am. And, and I'll add to that, too. And this is the other part. Mm-hmm. We talk about family time. We talk about, you know, I, I want to have time with the family and I want to spend time with my kids and, and I can't go do what you did, Jerry. I can't put the time in because I want to have time with my kids. That's all an excuse. That's all bullshit. Uh, Dominic, I've never missed a, an event for my children. So when I worked the eight straight days, my kids were really little playing T-ball. Uh, I left work. I went to T-ball. 
I spent T-ball with them. I sat there and got the ice cream cone afterwards, which is all they care about when they're playing T-ball. Ate the ice cream cone. Maybe we grab a quick sandwich and that's my dinner on, on a picnic table. And then the kids go home to bed and I turn around and go to work. I've been home when they were little until they were teenagers every night before 830. And I would say goodnight to them. Now I turn around and go back to work or go out to my office and work. But I got home in time every night to say good or say goodnight to them. And then we go to movies and, and, and we do little things. But I look at family time in the context of my work uh, as quality, not quantity. And I think quantity is the thing that we all go back to. And I think it's a, I think it's a lie we tell ourselves because let me run this down real quick. If you're the average person and you say, well, no, I can't work an extra couple of hours because I had to go, go spend time with my family. We got something going on tonight. You guys all know you go to bed at eight o'clock, right? You get home at five thirty, six o'clock. You spend an hour and a half with your kid. He goes to bed. And then what do you do? You're sitting on the couch watching television until 11 when you go to bed. That's all time that you could be using to work. But you say, I can't because I have to go home and spend the time with my kids. You need to look at that time. And I always look at things analytically. And I looked at the time I spent with my kids and said, we can make it as quality as possible because I can't provide the quantity, which is just me in the house sitting there watching television most of the time. So for me, I've been successful. All three of my kids are out of high school. Uh, One works for me, my 22-year-old son, and the other two are going to college. And I've been able to do that while also working 15 to 18 hour days for the better part of 20 years. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Jerry, I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower that, that kind of propels their success. What's yours and why? I think I'm Superman. Okay. Yeah, I, I really, I, that's that, that would be my superpower is I think I'm Superman. And, and I don't mean that egotistically. If I break down how I think I'm Superman, I never, I'll tell a quick story. I had eye surgery a few years ago. I'm blind in my right eye. I went blind in my right eye when I was 14. I caught a virus. My sister died. My oldest sister died when I was 13 uh, uh, of a disease that killed her in seven months. And eight months later, I went blind in my right eye. So my 14th year was was not the best year I ever had. Right. And the, the, the result of, my, of me going blind is my eye moved over to the right side. It started to wander. And so a few years ago, uh, and I had surgery, laser surgery, and they saved the eye, so it's still in my head. But mm-hmm. I went and I had to have surgery on the eye. Well, I scheduled the surgery on a Friday morning at 6 o'clock, the earliest they can do it. And I said to the doc, okay, doc, we're going to take this eye out. You're going to cut the muscles on it. You're going to put it back in. You're going to sew it back up uh, to straighten the eye out. I need to go to work. She said, no, you're not going to go to work. I said, no, 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 I know. And you have to ask this extra question. I said, I need to go to work. Can I go to work? I know the the default answer is you can't go to work. I'm asking you if I can. And she said, well, do you work outside, you know, around dust and stuff? I said, no, I sit in an office. I can sit in the office as easy as I can sit at at, at home. And she said, you ain't going to be happy, uh, but you're going to be miserable, but I don't know why you can't. And so my mindset was six o'clock in the morning, have the surgery. I was at work at nine o'clock that, that day. Now, my eye was patched up and I was fucking miserable. But the point being, I was at work and my whole mindset is just go to work. I don't have to force myself to go to work. I don't have my force myself to work past the physical barriers that so many of us have. Like I said, I've never been sick. I've never called in sick a day in my life. Those physical barriers. I've had 13 back surgeries. I've never missed a day of work because of the back surgery that I didn't take off. So I would schedule it on a Friday afternoon and be back on Monday. So in that context, that's my superpower is that my, my mind is not cluttered. Uh, it's not held back by the physical 
restrictions that so many people exhibit. You'll never hear me say I'm tired. I slept three hours last night. You'll never hear me say I'm tired. It's not that I'm sitting here telling myself, don't say you're tired. It's that I don't myself don't say I don't think I'm tired. I have no limitations. I, I don't have any. Now, am I driving myself into the grave? That's always the argument. Yeah, I stop and take time and sleep 10 hours a night and get, you know, on the weekends and, and, and try not go to the gym for two hours every single day. So, you know, it's not like I'm not healthy, but I just don't, I don't let things slow me down, uh, be they work stress or be at home stress or be at physical stress or any of those things. I stay calm and I just work through it. So for me, uh, when I say I'm Superman, that's probably it. I never get excited. I don't about anything. I'm passionate about, I'm sitting here talking to you about business and I'm passionate about it, but I don't get excited. So I don't yell and scream. And, and, you know, I'm a big, a big proponent, uh, uh, of not watching reality television business shows because none of those are reality. You know, the, 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 the chef that screams and yells and throws shit at his employees and the bike maker <laughs> that screams and yells about, you know, we're fucking over budget and over time. Nah, that shit never happens. And who the fuck would work with anybody like that anyway? Right. right. I wouldn't. And so there's no value in and But I think back to our earlier question about entrepreneurship. I think that 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 popular culture also shows entrepreneurship that it's that and it's exactly the opposite. The worst it gets the more you need to stay calm. And the worse it gets as a leader, the more other people need to be able to see that you're calm, even though it might be as ugly as it is. My mother always said to me that the skill I had the most is that I'm like a big rock that the waves crash against. Because no matter how much that fucking wave crashes against me and how big it is, that rock's still standing there. And I took that and that, that, I, that, that stuck with me. And I took that. And that's probably my, my superpower, if you will. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and before I ask this last question, Jerry, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life. You gave amazing value from sharing your philosophies on, on business life. Talked about the blazes a little bit. Wanted to make sure I get that in there. But now I want to give the microphone over to you because there's a person in Startup Nation that feels stuck in their business or they're afraid to get started. Now, normally I say give them some words of motivation, but I feel like with Jerry Brazee, I need to tell you to give him a little kick in the ass. So, Jerry, if you would, please, sir, give him a little kick in the ass and tell him to keep moving forward. Life is all about excuses. It absolutely is all about excuses. And you can, you will, you have to understand human nature. And most of the, exactly what you're talking about, most of that I see is caused because people are generally passive aggressive. And so you have to, if you're stuck in your job, if you're stuck in your life, if you're stuck in a relationship, if you're stuck in your business and you feel stuck, it's your fault. And so everything, if I could say one thing to everybody, everything is your fault. We all make excuses. Again, culture today is that nothing is my fault. Everything is the man's fault. Everything's because my teacher fucked me. Everything's because the boss hates me. Everything is somebody else's. My parents were shitty. I was a poor kid from the streets. Every excuse for bad behavior is somebody else's fault. And success starts when you take responsibility for everything. So in my case, if one of my drivers go out and wrecks one of my trucks, right? I look at it and go, that's my fault. So when it's your fault, you look at it much deeper and you go, what can I do different? Can I put a camera on the front of that truck? Can I put signage on that truck? So he sees that the overhangs, you know, 15 feet instead of 18 feet. What can I do? Can I raise the seats? Can I move them forward? What can I put more mirrors? What are all of the things that I can do to, to, to mitigate 
what happened with that accident from happening again. So, but that's very hard to do because we as humans, you got to understand who we are and what human nature is. We do two things on this front. We love to bitch, right? We love to blame other people. And then we love to commiserate with other people who are blaming other people. And once you start doing that, you're down a path that it's hard to come back from. So I, I think if I were to give anybody one piece of advice, be it the, the person wanting to move up in their job or the entrepreneur that's in a startup that's frustrating the shit out of them, I would say this, take responsibility for everything and then act on that to make changes. So that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you're yelling at Billy because Billy didn't do for you what you wanted. It means that you figure out why Billy didn't do what you wanted by taking responsibility for it and talking to him differently the next time or instructing him or showing him or giving him different tools. But that's very difficult to do. In my experience, that is the differentiator between the cans and the can nots or the cans and the struggles. And just because you can doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Inherent in this game of life and particularly in business is failure. And so you can't let failure stop you. You've got to continue and move forward, learn from it, be, be uh, introspective about it, figure out what you did wrong, and then go forward. I've made seven-figure ex- mistakes on multiple occasions because I was just too dumb. I didn't know any better. And so I made seven-figure mistakes. I didn't lose an ounce of sleep. I got up the next morning. I put my fucking feet on the ground. I walked out of home and I went to work. And by going to work, I said to myself, what did I do wrong? Okay, I made this seven-figure mistake. Don't do that again. Fix it and try to turn them into seven-figure uh, uh, seven successes. But I have multiple ones of those. All my fault, all my responsibility. And yet on two of them, I had nothing to do with it. So you've got to take responsibility for everything. You do that, that's a key to getting out. Um, and, and don't be shy of the failures. Yeah, again, you got to, you know, I say to, to, to the young guys, you got to hear 100 no's and maybe 300 no's before you can ever even think about getting a yes. You got to learn how to take a no and you got to not give a fuck. You got to not care what people think. You got to not care what people, uh, you know, they're watching me and they're going to do this, you know, like going to the gym and, and, and I can't go to the gym because I'm fatter than everybody else and everybody's looking at me. Motherfuckers, nobody's looking at you. Go to the gym. Nobody cares, right? Everybody else has got their own goddamn problems. Worrying about everybody else, there's no value in that. So uh, I, I guess combined, I would put all of that together and just learn from your failures. Make your mistakes. Don't be scared of mistakes. This is how the game is played. And then take responsibility for everything regardless of whether or not you control it, figure out a way that you impacted it. And I promise you, if, if, if you're starting at McDonald's and you want to move up or you are an entrepreneur that's got a business that's just getting off ground or you're an experienced entrepreneur and you've hit a rut and you don't know why, take responsibility for everything. It's, it's my magic elixir. But that takes a, you know, it takes a big ego, Dominic. That's the other thing. For sure. Big big egos in business today and in culture gets a uh, gets uh, gets you know looked down upon. But so I have a big ego, which just means that my feelings can't be hurt. And then I'm humble on the other side. I remember where I come from, and that's a very powerful combination. As opposed to a small ego, the small ego can be hurt very easily. So I disagree. I think you want to have a big ego and be humble. And those two things combined are powerful tools, particularly when you add in that everything is your fault. Gotcha. Thank you so much for sharing that empowered speech, man. I really appreciate it. And that's going to conclude this session of the Startup Life. Jerry, thank you so much. Did you enjoy being on the show, my friend? Dude, it was a good time. I appreciate it. No worries. No worries. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. There are different type of archetypes when it comes to entrepreneurs, right? 
And Jerry Brazee's archetype is the no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point style that really gets things done. I really love his very candid, open, and honest, and very transparent approach to entrepreneurship. You know, he said many great things from not only just using your experience to kind of fuel your path to entrepreneurship, but also Startup Nation, just having the just having the notion of just like, I'm just gonna make this thing work. And I think that is very powerful when it comes to starting our businesses or even scaling our businesses as well. Jerry Brazee is somebody I would definitely like to have back on the show. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life. The Startup Life. Startup Nation, looking for the extra content? Well, you know I aim to please. Here you go. One of the reasons I wrote this book is because most of the CEOs I work with send their college-age kids to me when they can't figure out what they want to do. And I've had to determine a way I can take one hour and explain how career works. And if you look at my book, I have all these hand, hand drawings in there that I use. And one of them is the family career tree because there's four things that impact your career, your parents, your peers, profit, and passion. That Startup Nation is Michael Allen Tate author of The White Shirt. So if you want to get that episode as soon as it's available, go ahead and subscribe to the Startup Life podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. So that way, when that episode with Michael is available, it'll be right there waiting for you. But until then, Startup Nation, get out of here. You got a company to grow.